1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Outcast Catholic. I'm Father Shane Demon. I'm Father Travis Crotty. It's good to be with you. Father, it's good to be a part of the land of the living again. Hey, welcome back. I am out of quarantine. You are. How was Omicron? (laughs) Omicron was great. (laughs) Good times. Yeah, Omicron, you know, COVID 2.0 for me. I had it in May, you know, when the shutdown first started. Oh, in June, for my ordination. No, no, no. I had it in May, and then I recovered... Oh, and then I had a relapse for my ordination. Yes, then I missed your ordination. This is strike three. Well, it was it's kind of strike three. Yes, because I I literally was down for two two week periods Mm. in 2020, kind of back to back. Um, which is a long story about why I was outside in blazing heat and had a relapse of my symptoms. But anyways, uh, yeah, this is this is the second round of COVID for me, man. Um. It was kind of like a five-day head cold, but I'm doing well. It's good, good. to be out well, of quarantine. It's good to see you again. Thank yeah. you. We've missed you
0: out here in the vineyard of the Diocese of Sioux City.
1: Well, and I missed uh, some very important priest funerals. Yeah, two priest know. funerals. Father Pat O'Kane, Father Jim Smith. Yes. Rest in peace. I wanted to be there, but you know, it wasn't good for me to go with <laughs> with, with your friend. With the Omicron, yeah, with my Omicron, friend, That's right. my companion, Right. and spread it around. Yes. It's good to be sharing. It's good to be generous, but not with my friend Omicron. So. Hey,
0: I think it was while you were in quarantine, we got that you forwarded me that fun email with some <laughs> with some interesting statistics. Yes,
1: very we, fascinating. So let me give you the latest. I'm sure our listeners are waiting with bated breath to know the latest stats. Did you know, Father Travis? Well, me, let
0: me just interrupt you for a second here to really extend this out even longer. The, the really <laughs> the anticipation. I don't get to see these stats. Uh-huh. You're not holding them from me. You just like happen to have the accounts on like your computers, and right. stuff. I could. I don't really care to look at them all the time, but it's. I'll funny give you the passwords. You're watching them all the time. I don't know if you're, you know, diligently following them, but I'll hear about them every like couple months. But
1: I really don't get that many stats. This one. This doesn't come up but daily. This one. Very exciting. So there are two recent stats that we have received. And part of these are marketing ploys to get us to sign up for other, you know, like of charitable services. But, anyways, did you know, Father Travis, that Outcast Catholic is now rated number two hundred and thirty-three by Apple Podcast Christianity chart in Australia? G'day, get g'day! Congratulations, yes. So, for all of our listeners, if there are any down under, we know that there's at least <laughs> 232 podcasts yeah. that are killing it right now ahead of yes. ours in Australia. So, for the five people in Australia <laughs> who listen to this podcast, thank you so much. They might not have a lot in common with the Midwest, you know, Maybe. when you're in the outback. I don't know. Yeah. And then, even more pressing, did you know this? Currently, Outcast Catholic is ranked 179 on the apple podcast religion and spirituality chart in sweden (laughs) oh yeah yeah (laughs) so for all of our scandinavian friends we know that there's at least 178 podcasts on the apple podcast religion and spirituality chart of that country who are killing it right now now.
0: there is a direct correlation here because the the wonderful um swedish village of albert city not far from where i grew up they're Uh they're um they're Town motto is how sweet it is. Oh, um, so, so cool. a little oh. connection there. Perhaps there's some <laughs> family still listening. Could be. You know, probably promoting.
1: that. Yeah, so for all of our friends in Sweden with their, their dried salted cod all winter long, <laughs> uh, I hope you're enjoying this. I know we probably have very little in common with Scandinavian folks here in the Midwest. Wow. but Those are the latest stats. We are some Universal random church. Some <laughs> stats. Yeah. I
0: wonder how true those are.
1: I don't know. I do know the past couple of weeks we've had over a thousand downloads each week. Okay, kind of fluctuates. Sometimes it's eight hundred a week. Sometimes it's a thousand. Keep and, it coming, folks. Thanks. Well, and we have said from the very beginning we're not in this to like be national celebrities. You know, if we can just you know reach a few people, especially in our own diocese, just to help the local church. That's why we started this. It's not meant to be kind of an ego trip. Uh, but if it if it can serve but others, but if it helps the Swedes. It if helps It helps the Swedes. If it helps the Swedes and it helps the Aussies, you know, that's great. Good on you. That's right. It's not, you know, in in saying that we're ranked 179 in Sweden, it doesn't actually tell us how many listeners there are. No. Maybe we have zero listeners and we're just at the, literally the bottom of the barrel on the religion and spirituality charts in Sweden. It could very well be. I'm not sure. Scandinavia is not known for overt Christianity <laughs> <Right>. in general. <laughs> So I don't know
0: what that really says. I people do make this comment a lot now because there are a lot of there are plethora of podcasts out there. A lot of shows. People will be like, uh, you know, who doesn't have a podcast? And right. I get a little defensive and I said, show, show me your podcast. <laughs> show me your equipment. Where are you recording? At? <laughs> people say that all the time.
1: Oh, everybody has a podcast nowadays. Sure. Uh, well, there are a lot of podcasts there out are. there, and uh, starting this in the pandemic, we were probably late to the show, but nevertheless, we're trying to address. Uh, needs in this particular culture in this particular time so that's right uh so for anyone listening in sweden or in you know i was in uh scandinavia in 2000 and what was it four i was in oslo Well, you clearly
0: left some lasting impressions because people are listening
1: well i've never been to sweden but i have been to norway i was in oslo in 2004 And, and it's a it's a very secular area right um I just was marveling at wandering around the city of Oslo, and you just didn't see steeples, mm. which is very different than most you know Western European cities, churches, especially Northern in Europe. Cities, right? Yeah. Um, you just really didn't see steeples, mm. um, and we had to really look to find the cathedral, which we did find, and uh, the cathedral was just jam packed with different language groups: mm. uh, Filipinos, you know, Middle Eastern uh, Christians. But up some poles, um, lots of immigrant communities Mm -hmm. who were in Scandinavia perhaps for job opportunities and were flocking to whatever churches they could find with an ethnic, you know, little grouping for themselves. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Scandinavian, you know, Christianity, I think, has been on the wane as it has across a lot of um, Western Europe. So anything that we can do to help build that up, and here in our own local culture, we're here to do that. That's right. So, Father... Um, kind of a heavy topic today. Mm. Um, it's the heavy snowfall we got last night. Yeah, we did. Lay it, it on us. All right. Um, it is January. It's a pro-life month. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about the pro-life cause. Um, as you know, I've done chaplaincy work with our Rachel's Vineyards retreats here in the Sioux City Diocese, and that's been uh, a really, really rich blessing to walk with men and women who are recovering from the effects of an abortion. And what I want to do today is to, to reach out to so many of our listeners um, and to frame this conversation not in a way that's condemning, mm-hmm. not in a way that uh, seeks to chastise anybody, but I want to frame the conversation in terms of how wide and how large you know, the breadth, the mystery of Jesus' mercy mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, you know, in your priesthood now in these these first kind of eighteen months, if you've had a tremendous amount of experience with this. Um, I think I've probably worked, you know, over the past what now, thirteen and a half years. I think I've worked with just as many men wow. who are recovering from the effects of an abortion as women. Mm. Uh, which is often overlooked in our culture. You know, men who are grieving the 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 loss of fatherhood. Mm. Men who are grieving, um, maybe just not kind of stepping up in that, in that masculine role of protecting and providing for a, a girlfriend, a wife, a fiance in their hour of need, maybe when fear got the best of everybody, uh, or even just grieving the loss of not being able to protect a child. Um, I remember years ago, the very first man I ever worked with, um, he found out from his girlfriend that she had gotten pregnant and that she had had an abortion Mm. and told him after the fact, he didn't even know that they were pregnant together as a, as a dating couple. Mm. And he, you could just tell even as this, as a young man, he was grieving deeply. Mm -hmm. The fact that, uh, fatherhood, you know, was on the table, which he didn't know about and was taken away from him and that he really wasn't there to protect that gift of life. Uh, in a manly way, mm-hmm. and so often when I when I meet with men and women who are uh, seeking counseling, seeking reconciliation with the church, seeking wholeness and and uh, a sense of you know healing, so often we hear in the church, well, you know, this is kind of the unforgivable sin. Um, what I've done, you know, is is completely out of bounds. Um, there's no way that God could ever love someone like me. there's so there's no way that He could reconcile me or or that I am somehow irredeemable right. And in doing so, what, what happens? we We put a box around Jesus, right? We somehow declare ourselves to know better um, and we tell the omnipotent omniscient God, no, there's actually limits to you. There's boundaries that surround you and you actually can't invade my world with your supposed mercy because you can't touch me uh, because I am irredeemable. Um, and, and this sense of um, being just worthless or this sense of kind of being somehow outside of the plan of salvation because what one has done um, in terminating the gift of a human life um, needs a lot of healing. And the church has to be there for these individuals, uh, and the church wants them to be to be part of the the christian community the the family of <laughs> believers the church wants them to know that jesus's mercy is there for them as it is for everybody mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah that's resonating with a lot i think the first thing is that even
0: talking to people outside of this topic of abortion but he- heavy sins or heavy offenses against life there's this expectation that confession that an encounter with the church will be that of judgment of really severe judgment. And, and maybe some of that's been kind of passed on through, you know, just kind of like the conventional wisdom of, of past ages of, Oh, this is really serious. But what I've reassured, especially my students that I work with all the time as a priest in the confessional, and I've had limited exposure to, to abortion in a, in a small amount of time as a priest, but with, with individuals I've spoken with, but, any sins of the confessional the, for me this has been such an incredible grace there is no, no judgment in me the type of judgment we think of is, is mm-hmm. really negative there's just so much compassion and love that like wells up in me when somebody is so willing to expose their woundedness from their, from their past sins or from their past mistakes to the mercy and love of Jesus that and I think it's just the grace of ordination within that sacrament um, yeah there's only compassion and desire for transformation to happen in that in that person as they encounter Jesus through through that sacrament or through, as you've worked with, that continued experience of reconciliation and healing. Mm-hmm. Um, but so many people assume that it'll be one of strict and severe judgment and you'll be kind of condemned and have to wear this scarlet letter or something mm-hmm. like that for the rest of your life. And no, that's not, that's not what Jesus is about. And hopefully that's not what his church is about.
1: Mm-hmm. You use that phrase scarlet letter and I think that's very, very important because in my experience, anyone who is suffering the effects of an abortion, um, the pain and the woundedness that can come is rooted so deep psychologically and emotionally that they start to project the scarlet letter. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. They've never perhaps talked about their abortion with anybody And yet the the mind can start to play tricks on a person, and and one can start to assume everybody knows my shame. Mm. Look at them. They can judge me. Look look at them. They can see my pain. I know they can see my history, which is not true. Um, There are, I know of two priests in this world who can actually read a woman's soul to know if she's had an abortion. Mm. But that's a very, very specific gift given by the Holy Spirit, purposely to help in the healing process. Yeah. Uh, but please know that if you're if you're out there, and um, you know tragedies against the gift of life, or just other woundedness in your life that you might be projecting onto others, feeling like an outcast in the eyes of so many, because you feel like you're carrying this this wound that's so heavy that everyone must be able to see. Please know that that's probably not true. That I don't think the, the world is not just wandering around casting judgment on you. Um, and if that is happening to you, that is the that is the opportunity to reach out and ask for healing. Uh, if if you're kind of tra- trapped in this this mental prison, in which you assume everyone is condemning you, well, that is probably a guilty conscience and kind of a mental woundedness, an emotional woundedness in the psyche that is crying out for help, right? Um, I remember once meeting a woman who had an abortion, you know, as a young woman, and she later got married. And she admitted to me that she had carried in her heart anger against her husband for their entire marriage. He knew nothing about her previous abortion, Mm. But she was angry at him. And he, he, he wasn't even aware of the abortion, let alone had a role in it. And uh, I think she was, what she came to realize is that she was feeling so guilty before God that she actually wanted some sort of a masculine figure in her life to condemn her mm. so that she could feel somehow, you know, justified before God. And, and this dawned on her decades later that she was actually harboring resentment against her husband because he would not chastise her and somehow fulfill this kind of masculine role of, of condemning her mm. because that's what she was feeling in her conscience as she thought about herself standing before God. Mm. And she was, you know, somehow just craving uh, a judgment, a punishment to somehow seek reconciliation for this or atonement mm. And all of this was getting psychologically uh, projected onto her husband, who was completely innocent. And she knew that it was hurting their marriage. Uh, so that, that is just one small example about how guilt and shame and woundedness uh, can kind of play some psychological tricks on us in what we project onto others mm-hmm. and how we understand our own identity. Yeah. Something I've been thinking about this whole time with those anecdotes you've shared
0: is the this came up the other day with high school students? I was talking about doing a little Q and A kind of morality stuff, and I got to talking about contraception because that's such a misunderstood teaching of the church. Um, but in the in the context of it, I was just asking them to explain different types of. I was like, okay, give me some types of contraception. I think a lot of kids just don't know what the word contraception means. If I would have said birth control, they would have been able to. Sure. But so like some kids just said birth control. I'm like, what are you talking about? So, but what I was shocked by the first example that was given in both sessions was plan B. Was the plan B Mm pill. It was like, oh, wow. Okay. Like I just, this awareness that, okay, these Gen Z kids right now in high school, that's the first place that they go. And while plan B is not necessarily abortifacient, like it doesn't cause an abortion every time it's used, there might not be a. Um, a pregnancy that took place the night before or whatever, the morning after pill, as it were. Um the f- the flippancy with which that was thrown out there made me realize, wow, now more than ever, there are so many more of these like early, very, very early abortions that are happening, or the teleabortion stuff that can mm-hmm. happen with the medication that you take at home. And speaking with some people in the past, there's been this realization that some people even justify that culturally it, it, we always try to justify those those decisions, or abortions. Always try to be justified, like you just said. Um, but I think even more now, there's this idea of, oh well, th- that's not that big of a deal. It's not like it was a full term abortion, or a you know, like a, a surgical abortion, or something like that. And and I've people will say, oh well, it's just it's just fine. I'm fine. It's fine. It's like no, like from those stories you just told, like we're not fine with that, mm-hmm. uh, and we need an encounter with the Lord's mercy and love to heal that. But so often because of like maybe a cultural conditioning, we can just say, oh, that's, that's not that big of a deal. It's okay. Like those, now we're not even sure if that was an abortion or not. They were, it was so small. It was so early. Um, So to (laughs) our listeners who might be carrying that, that around, right. Maybe having used like a plan B in the past or Mm -hmm. um, having one of those very, very early on uh, chemically induced abortions that, might might even not even feel real because it was so early and um there's there may be something still kind of going on inside of your heart inside of your mind that hasn't been dealt with mm-hmm. but just sort of pushed away for so so many years mm-hmm. i mean that's regardless of the timing but i'm just noticing that especially now with the oh just kind of flippancy with which those students brought up like plan b as as just oh yeah that's just contraception
1: right um well, several thoughts come to mind as you're speaking here. Um, if someone, you know, did kind of want a, an early chemical abortion, or if someone did something surgically much later, um, please know that if you're feeling outcast from the church or outcast from society, outcast from the Christian community, um, please know that the church is here not to judge, right? Mm-hmm. Or condemn. Yes. Um I have just worked with individuals who who made very quick decisions against the gift of life in a way that they realize now was not thought out very clearly. They might have been operating out of complete fear, in fact, terror, paralyzing terror, Mm. especially single women. Um, I think there are women that I know of that, um, you know, they were driven to an abortion clinic or they were given pills by a parent a boyfriend, a fiance, a husband who provided for, you know, these, these means and it might've just been forced upon them, but maybe by an intimidating masculine figure or intimidating parental figures, um, there might've been coercion to say, you know, think about your future, think about your career, you know, think about your future, you know, marriage or your future family. You know, this, this doesn't fit into those plans that we're all conceiving right now in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so, you know, if anyone was operating out of a sense of coercion or a sense of panic, uh, I think the church in her wisdom, in her pastoral care understands that Mm -hmm. uh, and has walked this journey with so many people. Um, And so to be able to identify that human lives might have been definitively or may have been definitively lost, Mm -hmm. um, because of our operating out of fear or loneliness or hurt or abuse, um, please know that the church understands that and that she's not interested in casting you aside as some outcast, uh, relegating you to the, to the peripheries because somehow you're you know, tainted. Right. It's not what the church is interested in because that's not what Jesus is interested in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his, li- his mercy knows no limits. And we can't put a box around him to say he somehow cannot redeem you Mm-hmm. or that you are not worthy of his omnipotent love or that, you know, when he got up on the cross and died for you and me and everybody else, that he wasn't cognizantly aware of the pain and the suffering that you would be going through at this point in your life. Mm. He was aware of all of that. And he, in his, his precious radiant divine blood was shed specifically just for you and me. Mm. Um, and so everyone needs to be aware of that. Um, I would also point out one more thing. We've been talking here, you know, kind of for anyone who might be listening, who is aware of their pain, who is aware of their mistakes. But we also might have some listeners who have not been willing to go there mentally or emotionally. You know, I was once praying with some students outside of an abortion clinic, and we were were just praying and protesting very peacefully, praying a rosary. And a woman drove by, there was two women in the car, and the, the driver of the, of the van drove by, and she was just kind of screaming at us. She was probably about 35, 40 years old, but very boisterous, very extroverted, very loud. And then she actually circled back, kind of around the block, and came back another mm. time. And I'll never forget what she said. She stuck her head out the window, and she screamed at us. And in a very, very proud, boisterous way, she said, that's where I aborted all my babies. Mm. And she owned that, mm. and she celebrated that. And it's very interesting. There, there, was a, there was a clear sense of ownership and belonging and attachment to those children. And she also used the phrase babies. Mm. You know, she didn't say it was a clump of cells. She didn't right. call it a fetus. Uh, she actually said, those are my babies. And that's mm. where their lives ended there in that building due to my decisions, mm. So it it was just very interesting psychologically to think about what that woman must be going through, uh, to claim those, to know that those are human lives, to know that those are human lives whose lives were now ended because of her. And yet there hasn't ever been maybe an emotional vulnerability to let that touch her conscience Mm -hmm. and to allow maybe a healing process to start to unfold. And, And maybe by celebrating that in such a boisterous way, Maybe she's trying to keep her conscience or even the pain of those realities at arm's length. So if we do have any listeners who also might be in that position, who might not be quite willing yet to acknowledge what's actually happened uh, or some of the pain, the coercion, the fear that was involved in that both in her part and in the immediate aftermath, um, please know that the church wants to assist on that level too Mm -hmm. and that there is accompaniment and there is healing Know and the church's resources for these individuals.
0: Well, yeah. Feel free to reach out, and Father Shane, you can connect people with that great gift of Rachel's Vineyard. Those retreats that are yeah. available throughout many dioceses. I'm not sure about Sweden and Australia, but I'm sure they're there as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's th- there's international agencies to provide for healing. There's lots of pro life agencies. Uh, Rachel's Vineyard retreats happen nationwide here in the U S. Uh, so there's all kinds of ways to reach out and ask for help. Uh, birthright support lines and, and all of that. Um, do not be afraid to reach out and ask for help. Um, I, I just think there are so many wounded people in our world, both on this pro-life issue but uh, on so many issues, that the church knows that she has to be a place of, of welcome hospitality, knowing that everybody who's already in the church have themselves been reconciled by God's mercy and must continually be reconciled by God's mercy. None of us are perfect, and none of us are here to condemn. So it's kind of a heavy topic today, Father, um, but hopefully one that during this January Pro-Life Month can speak to the hearts of many of our listeners, and uh, maybe these are some themes that we can keep revisiting and, and unpacking some more. Absolutely, Father Shane. Thanks so much for your, for your uh,
0: considerations, and God bless everybody in the Lord's mercy.
1: Thanks for tuning in. Send your questions and comments to outcastcatholic at gmail.com. Catch you next time, and God bless.